Hey, I'm Josh Smith and welcome to Rain. And I'm so glad you're here, babes. This podcast is all about opening up, having important conversations and celebrating successes, as well as overcoming obstacles to reign over our own lives. I love to chat to people and I always find things in these conversations to take away and use in my own life. So I really hope you'll find the same as well. Welcome to Rain. Today, we are joined by one of the most inspirational people I've ever met, Yusra Mardini. In March 2011, when civil war broke out in Syria, Yusra had dreams of becoming an Olympic swimmer. But by August 2015, she and her sister Sarah had no choice but to undertake a journey which no one should have to do. Her perilous journey to Europe saw her first flying to Istanbul, then paying human traffickers to take them to Greece and overland to Germany. What happened in the sea en route to Greece is the stuff nightmares are made of, but a reality for so many. With 18 people on board, the dinghy started to sink, and for three hours, Yusra and Sarah had no option but to swim. Not only did Yusra make it to Germany, she represented the refugee team at the 2016 Rio Olympics, a true testament to human determination. It's no wonder the sister's story has now been made into one of the most moving films I've ever seen, The Swimmers, which is on Netflix now. Yusra shares her story today, and it's a reminder, especially in our current political climate, that we are all human and refugees need allyship, not prejudice. I hope you'll be inspired by her story just as much as I was. How are you? Hello, I'm good, and you? I'm good. I mean, I'm so excited to talk to you today because The Swimmers, the the movie made about your life and your story is so powerful. And I think everyone needs to watch this movie. For you personally, how difficult was it to watch it back for you when you watched it? Um, I honestly, the first time I watched it with my sister and uh, Sven, I think you know him now from the movie, uh, my coach, uh, it was really emotional and it was kind of, it made me happy too when I watched it. It wasn't mm. like just crying and being sad about everything that happened. It just reminded me of everything that I went through because, you know, you don't just wake up every day and be like, oh, I went through hardship or whatever. Mm. You just move on with life um so yeah this movie packed everything together for me and i was like oh wow we went through a lot like Mm. i never thought of it that way but it was really really emotional yeah Mm. what was the bit you maybe reflected on the most watching it back i honestly reflected on my relationship with my sister before Mm. like it was um it was not about whether it was better or not it was just these moments of us living in the same apartment with our little sister and our pet, we had like a pet cat. In the movie it was a bird, but we had a cat. Her name was Lulu. Um, my mom and my dad and just these moments where like I had, I've been, I was like really, really happy with my family and my sister. And it changed a bit now, mm. not because we don't love each other anymore, but we just, because we grew up, each, each one of us went their own way. We want our... We followed our ambitions and dreams, so it made me a bit sad. Yeah. Mm. But it's also growth, isn't it, at the yeah. end of the day? Like, of course. You're also looking back at your yeah. life when you were a teenager. Yeah. And I'm not hanging around with my parents as much anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Exactly. It's a very normal process, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But my sister has been, a, like, a huge part of my life. Mm. So, um, and she always will be. Uh, so that 
we had, and we had like we were kind of, if it makes sense, like the media made this also, um, made this build this wall between me and her where they were always calling her the sister of, mm. and she has her own personality, she has her own story. This movie finally shows that that her story is equally as important as mine and that she did something, to be honest, in my opinion, way more important than what mm. I did. She went back to the point where we got, like, in, on Lesbos and she volunteered and helped refugees in person and she was, uh, um, she was translating and helping, like, younger refugees and so on. And I just felt it was unfair mm. towards her that the media was, like, the sister of Yusra Mardin. She was like, I have my own identity like literally I've been the one who's copying her her whole life so it is not it was not fair yeah yeah let's take it back to the beginning for you yeah when you were living in Syria and I think what was so powerful about the movie is it showed just how normal everything was for yeah. you and then there was this this snap yeah. and it all changed yeah when do you think was the last like normal day for you what was that like um I still remember to be honest the first first thing I heard ever about war was in the school bus mm. um, I always got picked up by the school bus um, at like 7am and then we went to school school was at 8 and at that point we were going back from school and then we heard about this event of like um, of, of kids being hit by the teacher or something like that it was just a story it wasn't mm. Has nothing. It had nothing to do with a, a war, um, and it was in Dara. Uh, so it kind of like after that, from that point, it escalated, and it it became more people started, you know, uh, going to the street to demonstrate, and then um, it became bigger and bigger, and the war started, and just like the point where like I had nothing basically anymore. It was I was in Russia for for. Uh, uh, an event that was called the Children of Asia. It was just an event, like swimming event. So I was there for a swimming competition. And then when I came back, the suitcase that I had like packed for this competition was the last thing I've ever gotten from my apartment, from our apartment with my family. I had like all the toys were gone, or the the pictures of me being a you know child were gone. Everything was just gone, and like we were ripped basically from like our home. And that was the moment where I was like, wow, like what's mm -hmm. happening? And then we started living by my grandma. We started living by my aunt. We started going from apartment to apartment, like where the rent was getting, you know, more expensive and more expensive. So um, it was, the, yeah, it, it, it came to us brutally. And then like the cottage of water and electricity, uh, we couldn't shower in warm water for, for ages. And then again, in the pool, I had to train in a really cold, cold water and you see that's what I meant like I never think of those things mm. if I don't have interviews and so on and mm. right now I'm like oh wow mm. like a lot has happened yeah. yeah and then you made the very difficult decision with your family that you were going to yeah. make the journey from Syria to yeah. Turkey yeah. and then board the boat I'm not very sure if they were like they'd really made the decision because me and my sister did mm. um, we we saw that like lots of refugees in 2015 were leaving lots of teenagers um, um, were leaving to Europe in hopes of like their minors, I'll bring my parents, you know what I mean? Because we didn't want our parents to go through the journeys that we went through because we were young, we were naive, mm. we could do that, we could run, we can hide. Uh, but 
I would have never let or allowed my mom or little sister to, um, for them to go through that, of course. Mm. And that's why we wanted to go through it and then bring them, which never works. Like I know my cousin, as example, is in Germany since seven years now, and he has a newborn sister he never met. He um, no, he did not see his dad or mom since seven years now. Um, so unfortunately, that's the reality of it now. Um, and we made the decision after so many things, like so mm. many things had, has happened. And then we were like, you know, can we risk one more trip and maybe live a really good life until we're gone? Or are we going to suffer for the next maybe 40, 50 years mm. of our life. We don't know how long the war could take, you know, maybe next year, maybe the next 10 years. And the war in Syria has been going on for 11 years mm. now. So, yeah, I, uh, that's how we, we kind of made the decision. And then we told my family. They always said no. And then my dad was like, I think in a moment of like weakness, he said, find someone I can trust and I'll let you go. And that someone was his cousin. And he was 25 years old and his... Um, um, other cousin was also the same age as me. He was 17 at the time. And we left with them. Mm. Yeah. And you go from that experience mm. and then you get labeled with this title of being a refugee, which yeah. I imagine is quite a difficult thing to go through. Yeah. Yeah. How did that feel when you were first reconciling with that idea of yeah. being a refugee? Honestly, in the beginning, it was, it was frustrating because, mm. first of all, the worst thing is that I wasn't educated about what a refugee is. I was, um, I also had a, had a misconception and I also grew up in a country where a refugee is something bad, mm. which is not very ideal for me to become a refugee. It's like, uh, you see in the movie, my dad is like, you're going to start for the refugee Olympic team? Like, really? Or he, he, will, he says to my sister, even that team you didn't make it to? So people do think very negatively, like negatively of what a refugee is and what happened to them or uh, these ideas of a refugee should dress poorly, they are poor, they come from, is Syria a desert? Where mm. is it? Uh, and I'm like, you know, we're the oldest, we have the oldest capital in the world. You should know that. Mm. Um, so yeah, in general, the first time when I got to Germany, you can see in the movie like where I did not, I wasn't okay with the word refugee. I wasn't okay with starting for the refugee team. Um, but, oh, and honestly, even when I accepted the role of like being a part of the refugee Olympic team, I didn't really fully accept it until I was walking at the opening ceremony, entering mm. the stadium, realizing that like thousands and millions around the world had respect for me and for this team. And they really had this hope that this team can bring hope to other refugees around the world or other people, not just refugees were reaching out. Everyone was reaching, like the, everyone were reaching out, uh, was reaching out to us, which was very, very inspiring and made me realize, okay, it's not only your journey anymore. You mm. have, you have this responsibility of representing millions around the world. The media was calling me the face of, uh, refugees and all of that. It was, I was just 18. Mm. So it's a lot of pressure. It was a lot. It was a lot. But I think, again, younger people have this naive side of them where, mm. like, I can take it all. I can make it all. Um, but yeah, it's, I slowly accepted it and was like, you know what? Why don't I embrace it? Why don't I show who I really am? It doesn't matter if I'm a refugee or not. I will mm. just keep doing what I do, which is swimming. Um, I love fashion. I love. 
um, entertainment. So I'll I'll keep doing that and um, I'll start advocating for refugees. And that's mm. exactly what I did. And here we are. Yeah. And I think what's so powerful at the movie is it does show the microaggressions that you received when you were first you first yeah. landed in Greece. For you, what have been some like moments of prejudice that you faced as a refugee that really shocked you and surprised you? Um, first of all, one of the things that really, really shocked me is um, the smugglers. Like knowing you're a human being, you know that you putting 20 people on a dinghy in the middle of the sea, they can die. And he knows probably that some boats he let off, flipped and people died. And I, I don't know how can someone have such a black heart or how mm. can someone be so inhuman just for money, you're risking the lives of, there were babies on the boats, mm. there were children on the boats. So how do you live with yourself knowing that you're letting people on the boat, you know, surviving or not surviving? That's, that's one thing. The second thing, we were on the way to Europe, like we dressed up as Europeans and got on the train to fake and get from, from um, Hungary to Germany. And then this lady saw us, um, she told on us, so we were arrested. Um, and then it took a while for the police to come for the next step. So when she told on us, um, we didn't know that she told on us, so we were sharing food. And then we, gave, we were sharing food with her too. And then she started crying. She said, I didn't know you guys are good people. And I was like, too late, but yeah, thanks. Um, and in general, just how inhuman we were treated on the way. Uh, like you, you kind of have some kind of disease that no one want to touch you or mm. want to be associated with you. In Hungary, we were surrounded like we, like we are criminals. There was a circle around um, Kalati Station uh, where all the refugees were staying because we had to sleep on the floor. Um, so the police surrounded us like we're some type of criminals. You weren't allowed to go in or out uh, of the circle. The circles ha had some like uh, fast food uh, shops or whatever uh, stores um yeah but in general just how inhuman and how crazy the misconception is about mm. what a refugee is no one knows that you spend ten thousand euros to get to europe mm. no one knows that and mm. no one knows that you have to pay the guy that is sending you off to literally drown maybe uh you have to pay like a dinghy each person pays 1500 mm. so they're making a living out of you and I will, I cannot really believe that politicians know nothing about that. Mm. That's just, and it's all disappointing to me. So I think it's very difficult because we're in this situation now where we even live in a country where, for instance, they want to send refugees to Rwanda, yeah. which is unbelievable. Yeah. And to live in a country that has that much prejudice towards a group of people who are escaping yeah. persecution, so many different things. Yeah. For you, when you hear stories like that, how does that make you feel? And what would you want to say to those kind of policymakers who are yeah. trying to push that kind of policy through? Um, honestly, it makes me really, really disappointed. Look, Great Britain um, was also built by refugees. Mm. A huge part of... Um, you know, the community here and um, it's, you cannot tell me there's a country in the world where it's just native, that that does not exist. This misconception that they created for us is 
just to divide people. That's that does not does not happen. Does not exist. The refugee when they're gonna come to this country, they just want a safe place. Mm. They're the ones who are going through the hardship, and not you, um, or or the the person that lives here. What changes for you if refugees come here? Nothing. Mm. Nothing changes for you. Maybe you have a little bit, a few more people that come. They not. I'm not saying all refugees are good, but are all people good all around the world? No, that's just the nature of mm. human being, and you can't just say. One, 1%, 100% of those refugees are bad and 100% are good. It does not work that way. So um, I think refugees should be given a chance to come here, to be integrated, to learn the language, to, to see how they, they, they get along with the society and so on. Um, and I really hope that the success stories are more told than the, the, the mm. ones that are not successful because also the media always takes it to the negative side where... Look at Syria, it's all destroyed and damaged. That's why I love the scene where me and my sister are dancing on the rooftop. That's such a powerful scene. When you see that was, that's one of the, my favorite scenes where you see the bombing, but we're still here. Mm. We're still trying to live. And that's exactly, the, a refugee when they come to Europe, we're really, really trying to just be safe. When I come here, I'm just thinking about, I just don't want to live in a country where I, I I have to think about, am I going to come alive? I'm, am I going to come back home or not? I don't want my mom to cry her eyes out every time I went out because she doesn't know if I'm going to come back. Mm. Um, and I always say, it's not bad if a refugee comes here, gets successful, live a luxurious life. They work hard. Mm. That's also okay. It's not like something that written in a book where refugees shouldn't be successful or... Uh, we shouldn't be. We shouldn't live a luxurious life. Or if they want, go for it. Work hard for it, and you're fine. And I think lots of people are afraid that refugees are taking the money or the jobs mm. or whatever. And I'm like, if you're good at your job, no one's gonna take it from you. No one's coming for your Whether job. Whether a refugee or not, you know. Yeah. So um, if you're in the right place, doing the right thing, you're fine. Mm. That's that's my own opinion. And for politicians, I really, really hope that they understand that they can really change a lot about this topic and that opening the way for new refugees will not hurt the country. It will, you know, nourish the country mm. and push it further. And, you know, change is always good. Mm. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And your success story is so phenomenal. Thank you. Like the level of determination, the perseverance, mm -hmm. the ambition, the mental strength that you had to go through what you went through and push through and make it to the Rio Olympics is just extraordinary. I think it's one of the most powerful stories there is oh, about human you. determination. What do you think you've learned about determination from that experience? Um, I honestly was a very stubborn child. Mm. My mom, I when I told her when I I a while ago I told my mom I was like I'm really stubborn, aren't I? <laughs> she was like you were so stubborn when you were young. Your dad will put you in the water. You would not even move a finger. Knowing you will drown. She was like, this is, this is where, if you did not want to do something, you would not do it. If you wanted something, you will not stop like bugging me until, until you did it or you have it or you achieved it. So honestly, I was a child. Since I was a child, I was like that. And um, I learned from two incredible parents. My dad went through a lot um, being a swim coach where every time he taught 
you know, the athletes how to be such good athletes, the national team will see that they're good and take them from him. So he just trained generations mm. to be amazing athletes and then they would be taken from him. So he would start from zero again. He would work with new athletes every few months. And that determination just showed me that I, I should be the same. And he really taught me a lot about never give up, giving up, working hard, whether you like it or not. If you have a goal, if you have a vision, sometimes he would like, I'd be sleeping. He would like, wake up, we're going to training. I'm mm. like, no, he's like, stop crying, we're going, you know? <laughs> so I learned, of course, it was harsh. It's her, his daughter. Of course, mm. he, he had like pain waking me up and so on. But he always thought of the the vision and where we're going, the Olympics and everything. And I learned that from my dad. And what I learned from my mom is she had, she grew up in a very traditional family and she was the only one to go her own way where she was dressed up, like she was dressing up model, like modestly. Um, she was a designer. She created our outfits like for, for like the Muslim Christian, like for the Muslim, Muslim Christmas where it was like uh, the Eid. So, when people ask, where was your outfit? Where's your outfit from? It's so cute. She'll be like, I designed it for both of them. <laughs> and you know, the Arabic moms, you always look like twins. I think any mom. Yeah, they love to do that. Yeah, they mm. look like twins. So she always taught us how to be different. Uh, that different is very unique. So I honestly owe it to my parents. Mm. Yeah, and my sister. She's a very wild child. She, uh, again, uh, do exactly what, what she wants. And um, I just... Learned English because of her. She's always like going around listening to Rihanna, Chris Brown, watching every new movie and so on. Whatever my dad told her, she didn't want to do it. She didn't do it. Uh, she, so she was a bit rebellious, and I learned that side from her. So I, I really owe it to my family. Mm. Like, yeah. What went through your head when you stepped on to that podium to jump into that pool? What was going through your head at that point? Oh my God. Do you, do you want the honest an I answer? I want the honest answer. That, Serve like, it to me. Not that like, like the superhero. Yeah, I want the honest stuff. answer. Never, no one thinks about anything, you know, because what do you think about with your, when you're at such a huge event? Don't look at the crowd, don't look at the crowd, <laughs> don't look at the crowd, please don't look at the crowd, don't get nervous. Because you're hearing the cheering mm. was, 10 times more than the one you saw in the movie. And you don't have that all the time. Like for Adam Pitti or like really, really Olympic Olympic medalists, they live for that. Mm. It helps them win the medal. And I understand that, but I wasn't swimming a final. I was swimming th like just heat. And it was morning and I was like, don't look at the crowd, you know? And obviously I was thinking about like, just, I was just nervous about the race. like. If someone tells you that they're thinking about the goal or whatever, that's, I'm sorry, that's bullshit. <laughs> even Michael Phelps is just that. thinking about the moment, thinking about not messing the start. Like, I think every swimmer is just thinking about, do not mess the start. Don't look at people. Just swim what you've been training for, you know. Don't die <laughs> after, like, 75 meters. <laughs> so, yeah, it's... Ridiculous, but we do also, like, mm. lots of swimmers think about very, very silly things before mm. the race, yeah. But after you literally swam next to that boat yeah. in the sea on the way to Greece for three hours, yeah. you truly can do anything after that, right? Yeah, yeah. I look at life in such a different way. When I was in Syria, I was was like, oh, I need to dress up and go with my friends. And now it's it's like, oh, wow, I have a really huge responsibility. I went through a lot. But I'm not, I'm nowhere 
like near done yet. I mm. don't. This is just the beginning for me. And um, something that I'm really, really proud of is that um, I did not give up. My sister did not give up, and uh, we just try to see the positive in everything and try to be like, you know what? This did not work. We try something new, yeah. and. Um, or or you step completely away from the thing that really is hurting you and then you try again and then hopefully it works and that worked with swimming because I left swimming for a whole year when I was in Syria. Mm. So th the year that I left swimming made me realize that I do sport for me and not for my dad. Yeah. Because he was my coach my whole life and I always thought like I was forced to be a swimmer in, in, so, in some sort of way. So when I came back to swimming, I decided to come back to swimming. When I came back to you. swimming, exactly, and it made me like, you know, I'm here at the Olympics because thank, thanks to everyone, but I'm here because of me, mm. and because I decided to come back and train, and you know, try again. So, yeah, it was, it, was, it is really empowering to go through everything that we went through and then be like, you know, I'm still here, I'm still trying, mm. and um, I really want to go places i want to mm. go to the olympics i want to achieve something and especially doing that with the mental health impact yeah. of what you went through as well yeah that's incredible thank you yeah i'm actually writing a paper for my university about mental i wrote in mental health and sport in general but yeah in general um i have a really amazing team i have great friends in in germany where like sometimes i don't see them for weeks uh see my friends sitting there the sometimes I don't talk to her for months and then like we see each other we talk about everything uh, I know that they're there for me whether they're in person there or not so I have a great support system I have my coach um, I have my family and uh, I do talk a lot like I do not shy away I do me too. I can like just the, meet you now. It's the therapy. Yeah, it's I can the just like meet you now feel comfortable and tell you the story of my life so I think like yeah, it's, it is a kind yeah. of therapy um so yeah. Yeah. And one last question we always end on, and that always is, in the reign of your life, what is the one rule you'll always live by? What's that rule for you? Uh, honestly, I have this quote, and it says, um, I, I don't know if I saw it anywhere or if, if it was me, but I think it, it was me that said it. Uh, we are bodies without souls when we leave our dreams behind. And I always think of that whenever I, I am doing anything. I was... Um, think of as cliche as my book name is butterfly it is really actually the story of my life i was mm. like i was a very shy kid i was very closed off and everything and then i became a simple for for everyone around the world that want to look at the hopeful story that like comforts them and tells them everything's gonna be fine just it'll be fine just try harder um look that happened to me and now i'm okay um uh, yeah, to really not, not, never give up and do not see stubborn as a bad thing. It is good. Mm. Yeah, keep on into it. Until <laughs> Be you more get stubborn. There. Yeah. That's what I'm going to do. Sometimes really run after people yeah. for what you want. Be annoying and be precise and very, very clear. Do not shy away from the things that you really want in life. Be clear. Say, I don't like this, I like this, and you'll be fine. Yeah. Wow, you're an amazing role model, and thank you so much for joining me. You're amazing.
thank you so much for joining me for another amazing episode of Rain. I really hope you found something to take away from this episode. And if you have, let me know. You can always get me on socials at Josh Smith Hosts. I love to hear from you. And as always, if you've enjoyed this episode, please like, rate, subscribe, or follow wherever you get your podcasts from. And more importantly, please share this with someone you think needs to hear it. Let's get those convos going and I'll see you next time.